I need community. I need community. I need community. I need community. I need those necessary connections. I have to get connected and stop going it alone. There's no way I can get through this life without other believers around me. I hear you calling me, Lord, calling me into a connected life. A life where relationships with others make the body of Christ complete. A life where serving is fulfilling and where we all make each other better. Where's God calling me to serve? Where am I needed? Where can I help? What's going to take for me to connect? What's it going to take for me to jump in? What's it going to take for me to reach out? What's it going to take for me to be the missing piece? So how about you? What's it going to take for you to be involved? What's it going to take for you to do your part? What's it going to take for you to be the missing piece in the body of Christ right here at the Bible Chapel? Regardless of what campus you attend, no matter what community you live in, God's got a part for you right here. And for us to be the church that God has created us to be, we all have to do our part. We all have to use the gifts that God has given us. As we close out the sermon series, I want to challenge you in the same way that Paul challenged the young believers in Thessalonica. As he challenged them, he was facing the same issue. And how are they going to be this church that God needs them to be? So take out your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 5. And if you remember last week, uh, Ron spent some time with us in this very book, right? Challenging us. We've got to get ourselves ready for this meeting with Jesus that we're going to have. Right? Because we're all going to have this meeting. We're all going to see the living God face to face. None of us can escape it. If we have denied Christ, that is going to be a day of great judgment. It's going to be the day that we are eternally separated from God and, and cast to spend eternity in hell. For those that have placed their trust in Christ, that day is going to be a great celebration. The day we enter into eternity with the living God. But none of us are going to miss that face-to-face -face meeting with Jesus. But until that time comes, we have a life to live right here and right now. And in finishing this letter to the Thessalonians, Paul reminds the followers of Jesus on how they should live with one another, how they should be, be with one another, and how to do that in a life-giving way until the time comes for us to meet Jesus, whether it's on our death or whether it's upon his return. Right? Paul lays out these five key responsibilities for every believer in order to live a, a spiritually healthy life, 
as a, in, as a part of a vibrant church body. For us to be the people that he needs us to be, we've got to take care of these five responsibilities. So first, Thessalonians chapter five, we're gonna start with verse 12. He starts, now as we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who were over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. So here Paul tells the believers to be respectful of those in key leadership, right? Be respectful of those in spiritual leadership, the positions where God has placed them. Paul is challenging those believers that you've got to live in love and in peace with the people that God has placed in spiritual leadership. What I want to do is I want to take a, just a moment to kind of to illustrate this, to kind of wrap our heads around really what the body of the church looks like. And you're going to see on the screen, we've got really four concentric circles here. And, 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 and that the broader circle is really what makes up the entirety of the church body. And I kind of broke it up into really four groups. The first one is we see here, or people that I would call, that are, they're the attenders. Um, they come, right? Or some of you could be here today. You may be checking out the church. You may be visiting with somebody. You're not quite sure if this is the place that you want to plant down roots. You may come to a worship service. You may attend a Bible study. You may come to an event. You may go to a retreat. But you're really not invested here, but you're still part of the part of the broader body. Then there's a subset of you, which I'll call our, our contributors. Okay, the, the Bible chapel is probably your home church. You're here more than you are somewhere else, right? We'll call you a, a, a regular attender. You're, you're probably serving in some form or fashion, maybe in children's ministry or youth ministry, or maybe a hand out um, the bulletins or you're on a hospitality team. You, you found a way to get plugged in. You're, you're giving, you're contributing financially to the church. Then there's a subsection of those which we'll call the members of the church. These are the people that are saying, I am all in. This is my church home. I am not here to be served. I am here to serve. That's my commitment to this church. I have gone through living grounded, right? I understand the essentials of the Christian faith. I stand on solid ground. I know who I am in Christ and I'm devoted to my spiritual growth, growing in five essentials, word, worship, connect, serve, and share. I'm making progress in these areas in my life. I'm, I'm all in, Right, I've got a, 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 a prayer life. I'm, I'm in God's word. And then lastly, we have this, this group in the middle, this core group, which I'll call leaders. Okay, that includes the elders, the pastors, the ministry leaders, but also includes your youth leader. It includes your life group leader. It could include your Bible study leader. These are the people that God has put in place over you to teach you God's word, to shepherd you, to care for you, to love on you, to admonish you, to exhort you, right? These are the people that God has chosen and placed them in spiritual leadership roles. And this is who Paul is talking about right here. He's talking about this core. But notice how he starts. He says, now we ask you brothers. Who are the brothers? 
He's just not asking the leaders. Brothers is all the believers that are in the church body. So Paul's saying, all of you, all of us, we have to respect the people that God has placed in spiritual leadership. Whether you're an attender, a contributor, a member, or a leader. Paul's saying we need to pray for them. We need to encourage them. We need to hold them in the highest regard in love. And we need to live at peace with them. See, we know all too well that, that, that church is messy. Right? And church is messy because we're messy. Right? And we like things a certain way. And there's things that we don't like. We don't like the worship is too loud. The lights aren't bright enough. There's not enough hymns that are sung. The classes aren't offered when you want them. The, the study that your life group leader picked isn't the one that you wanted. Right? We all have these things. And, and when we become happy about stuff, it, it's easy for us to attack or to shoot arrows at the people that God has placed in leadership roles. And Paul's saying, you don't do that. These are the people that work hard for you. Instead, we need, to, we need to respect them. We need to live at peace with them. Why? Because these are the people that have sacrificed the time. They have sacrificed the energy and the resources to make this ministry work. Obviously through God's provision, but these are the people that have invested in this church to make all this come together. But don't get me wrong here. I am not saying that we need to crown these people kings and queens, these leaders. They've got a tremendous responsibility, right? That responsibility is laid out for the leadership of this church all throughout Scripture in, in Titus and in 1 Timothy. And in fact, they're going to stand in front of God and give an account for the role that they had. That's up to God to judge the leaders, our job as a body is to respect them, to live at peace with them, and to be able to do so in love that Paul talks about in verse 13. And when you think about the responsibility, right, when you talk about the word respect, the word respect here actually means to, to know somebody, to get to know them. That's a relational term. We've got to know our life group leaders. We've got to know our Bible study leaders. We've got to know our youth group leaders. And when we know them relationally, that's how we can respond to them out of respect and love that Paul talks about in verse 13. So let me put it like this. Effective leadership and effective following translates into a healthy church body and a vibrant church ministry. Right? Effective leadership and effective following. Without one or the other, all we have is dissension, tension, and conflict. We have to work together as a church body right, to be the church that God has created us to be. In order for us to do that, we have to respect those that God has placed in roles of spiritual leadership. That is the number one responsibility of today um, for each believer is respect those that are placed in roles of spiritual leadership. Now let's look at verses 14 and 15. 
And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that the body, the body, make sure that the nobody pays back wrong for war, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone. So what's Paul saying here, right? So to admonish and to encourage and to help, that requires us what? To be engaged with each other. That's our second responsibility as believers. We have to be engaged with each other. And again, Paul says, brothers, it's a collective term. It's all of us. We all have to be engaged in all three of these things. And let's look at each three of those. First, Paul says, we have to warn those who are idle. Right? The word warn means to admonish. Right? To, to warn of of, of behavior that's either immoral or destructive. Okay, so Paul says if you're sitting idle, we're apt to immoral and destructive behavior. Right? Paul's not saying don't admonish everybody in the church, admonish those who are idle. And what's interesting about this is the word idle is actually a military term. And it's used to, the, to refer to somebody that has abandoned their post or who they're out of formation. It's a word that we would use today called AWOL, right? Somebody's left the post. If you're idle, you've left the post. You've left your responsibility. For your younger generation, it's what you guys would call a slacker today, right? They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. You see, the idle in the church are the won't do's. The people that refuse to get involved Right? Those people that expect to be served without contributing anything back to build the church up. In admonishing the slackers here, you're telling them, you've got to get back to your post. God's made you for a purpose. God has given you a responsibility in the church and you've abandoned it. You've got to get back and do what God has created you to do. You've got a role. You can't be AWOL. You cannot be a slacker. You see, life isn't sitting back in our Olaf fuzzy pajamas in a recliner watching football, waiting for Jesus to come back for our meeting with him. Right? We have to be involved. It's not about getting our ticket punched and waiting for Jesus to return. But why? Right? Because bad things happen when we are idle. And this is why Paul tells us and admonish them, warn them of their sinful and destructive behavior. Now, you guys have probably heard the saying that the idle hands make for the devil's workshop. Right? I actually think that is wrong. Because there are plenty of people that are busy doing stuff, work and hobbies, that their lives are marked with unhealthy and, un, uh, and sinful behavior. I think it would be best said that the idle mind makes for the devil's playground. Because when we sit idle, the devil does not. When we sit idle, the devil fills our head with stuff that we should be doing. And guess what? It's not 
the stuff that God's created us to do. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. So the idol need to be admonished to get back to their post, not to be idle and do what God has created you to do. That's the first of the um, couplet here, that triplet that, that Paul writes. In the verse uh, 14, he continues, and he says, pray that all of us, all of us have to encourage the timid. Right? The word for encourage here means to, to console or to, to show tenderness. Most of the time in Scripture, it's actually used for um, the, the, what we're supposed to show a widow who's just lost their spouse. It's how we're supposed to show this tenderness towards them, this compassion towards them. So if the slackers are the won't-dos of the church, right? the, the timid here are the want-to people of the church. These are the people that want to get involved. They, they want to do something, but they have a hard time taking that step, making that step of faith and in, in, in getting involved. And many times the, the hesitation comes from, a, from brokenness or, or from, a, from a past that just, just that has a hold on them, that's, that's holding them back from what God is calling them to be. And what Paul is saying here is that, that as a church, we got to come alongside of the timid. We have to encourage them. We have to help them understand what their gifting are. We have to help them find the right spot in the body. Right? Because God needs them to fulfill their role. So our responsibility as a church is to help the timid, to come alongside of them. And then thirdly, Paul says in, in 14, he says that the entire church has to help the weak. Now, Paul is not talking about a physical strength here. Paul's talking about a spiritual strength. He's talking about those that, are, that, are, that, that don't understand God's word. They don't understand that their identities in Christ. They're being tossed around by the waves of the world, right? They're unsure. They're unsettled of who they are. They're kind of wandering around. And Paul says, you can't. You have to come alongside of them. You have to prop them up. You have to teach them God's word. Right? This is why we're so passionate about living grounded. For those that are stronger in your faith, you've got to come alongside of those that are weaker, helping them build up their knowledge of God's word, identifying with Christ. Right? We talk about safe, significant, secure, accepted, forgiven, and empowered. Right? That's spiritual strength. We know where we stand. We stand on God's word. All of us have to do that. We all have a role in that. And that's what Paul says about all of it. It's not just the leaders. It's not just the members. It's not, it's everybody has the responsibility of doing this. Because typically from, from a church speak, we think of things like this. All right, Scott, you and Ron and the pastoral staff, you guys are responsible for the won't-dos of the church. You need to stand up there on stage and give them a sermon that's going to get them moving. Right? We're tired of seeing them sit on the sidelines. You guys go do that. And then with the want-tos of the church, that's why you have Vince Consoli and the, and the Connections team. Right? They want to do something. You just need to get them plugged in somewhere. Find them somewhere to serve. 
And then you got Bob Fredo and the caregiving team and the counselors. They're the ones that, that are going to help the cantus of the church. No. Paul says this is all of our responsibility. Everyone has this responsibility. We have our job to do in this. We can't sit on the sidelines waiting for somebody else to do something that God has placed in front of us to do. And in Paul, in verse 14, concludes with a personal note to me. He says, be patient with everyone. I know that probably applies to some of you as well, but I can tell you it applies to me. We've got to be patient with each other. When we admonish or help or encourage or try to strengthen up, they're not always going to respond the way that we want in the timing in which we want. And I think Paul specifically places this right here because it is so easy for us to become impatient with the can't-dos, the want-tos, and the won't-dos. It is so easy to become impatient, but we have to remember we've got our part to do. Worry about your part and let God do the rest. And in verse 15, Paul reiterates Jesus' teaching about non-retaliation. Right? No matter how they respond to us, right? it may not be in a very life-giving way, but regardless of how they respond to us, we have to respond in a healthy way because a spirit of retaliation can and will destroy a church. I'm going to simply put it this way. A healthy member of the church body always seeks the good, not ever to echo the wrong or evil. A healthy member of the church body always seeks the good, not to echo the wrong or the evil. See, we know that being involved, you know that being involved in people's lives is hard. It's messy at times. But Paul does not leave us an out. We cannot hold back. We have to be engaged with one another. And that's our second responsibility that Paul gives us. Now let's look at verses 16 to 18. Paul writes, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Those 20 words present quite the challenge, don't they? And for us to be able to rise to this challenge, we have to be devoted to spiritual growth. That's our third responsibility as a believer. Be joyful always. Three simple words. I don't know if there's a much taller order than that. Because the room always doesn't leave any room for debate. How in the world can we be joyful always? How can Paul command us to be joyful always? How can Paul command anybody to be joyful? Can he do that? Well, you know he can. You know why? Because joy comes from the inside. Joy is independent 
of any circumstance that surrounds us. Because you see, joy is not the absence of trouble. Joy is the presence of Christ in our life. Joy is a, a, a deep abiding sense of well-being. Joy is trans-circumstantial. It doesn't depend on our current or appending circumstances. Right? It's, a, it's a settledness that is deep down inside of our soul. See, joy is not happy. Happy is a different word with a different meaning. Happy is based on happenings. Joy is a deep, abiding sense of well-being, regardless of what is going on around us. The philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche said scornfully about Christians that lived when he did. Listen to what he says. He said, I would believe in their Savior if they looked more like people who have been saved. That hurts, doesn't it? But if we really believed in our heart, if we really believed at the core of our being that we were saved from an eternity in heaven, wouldn't our lives be marked with joy? But too often, the circumstances that surround us in our life, they outweigh the joy that's supposed to be living inside of us. Whether it's the darkest of the valleys or whether it's the mountaintop high experience of something great that's just happened towards us. And many times in those things, we act like we see in this clip. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to Santa! Oh, my God! Santa here? I know him. I know him. He'll be here to take pictures with all the children. Yeah. Just keep your receipts. 10 a.m. tomorrow. 10 a.m. tomorrow. Santa's coming to town. Yes. Can you sign this for me? Oh, hi. Santa's coming. See, we laugh at that. But if we're, if we're honest, we react that way when things go the way we want or when God answers a prayer the way we want. And we want to tell the whole world about it, right? The scan has come. The scan came back clean. All the cancer is gone. And you celebrate like nobody's business, right? Or you've been unemployed for three months, six months, a year, and a job offer finally has come in. And you celebrate how faithful God is. Or any prayer that gets answered the way that we want it to, Maybe we take the social media and we post on Facebook, God is faithful. But somehow in that, we infer to those around us that don't believe in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that somehow God wasn't faithful yesterday when he didn't answer your prayer. Or the day before. Or the week before, a month before. Do we let the, 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 the circumstance of what's going on, whether it's, the, it's the, 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 the ugliness of what's going on in the valley or the happiness that is going on at the mountaintop, 
But see, if we have this deep, abiding sense of joy in us, people will be able to see that in your life, regardless of what your circumstance is. Giving praise and thankfulness to God who is faithful every day, regardless of what your circumstance is. And there is nothing like being around a person who is full of joy. Those people are life givers. And that's what Paul is saying here. Be joyful always. Then he goes on to say that we need to pray continually. Now Paul is not calling us to be monks living in a monastery on a cliffside in Tibet somewhere. Right? Prayer is continual conversation with God. Paul is telling us, hey, don't quit praying when your quiet time's over. Don't quit praying when your Bible closes. Keep on praying when you walk out the door. Keep on praying when you're driving down the street. Keep on praying when you're sitting at your computer at work or dealing with patients. Pray on your way home. Pray at the dinner table. Pray with your kids when you go to bed. And pray before you close your eyes. Pray continually, Paul says. Right? We're going to talk a lot more about this through the coming of years. We continue to, to, to focus in on this continual um, community, this continual conversation with God. But Paul says you've got to be praying continually. You can't stop. And in verse 18, Paul leads into us even a little harder and says, you have to give thanks in all circumstances. Not just the ones we liked, just not the ones that we prayed for. We've got to give thanks in every circumstance. You think about the way that he challenged the Romans in uh, chapter 8, verse 28. And the reason we can do this is that we know in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So with this deep abiding sense of joy and this, this, this deep inside of us and giving thanks in every circumstance, that's how we navigate this world. And when you think about those three things, right? Joyful always, praying continually, giving thanks in every circumstance. What's the, what's the common thing there? They are all God-focused. They are not self-focused. We have to keep our eyes on Him. And to do that, we have to be committed to our spiritual growth. We have to be committed to our spiritual growth if we're going to be a, a healthy member of a healthy church body that's providing life-giving ministry throughout this world. So that's our responsibility. The third one is we have to be devoted to our spiritual growth. All right, let's continue. Let's look at verses 19 to 22. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. What Paul is really saying here is we have to be anchored in God's word. So in verse 19, Paul challenges the young believers in the church in Thessalonica 
um, not to quench the Spirit's fire. Well, why does he tell them don't quench the Spirit's fire? Well, what happened is these young believers were ignoring the prophecy that was being sent. Now, these young believers, they didn't have the New Testament. So God was still leading them and guiding them by, by sending this special revelation through his people that he was communicating to the believers so they can be the people and be the church that God needed them to be. And these young believers were ignoring it because they didn't like some of the stuff that they were hearing. They were essentially, they were ignoring God's word. So he's telling them, you can't ignore God's word. Don't quench the spirit. Listen for me. But then Paul quickly in verses 21 and 22 says, but be careful. You have to test everything. Don't have, don't have blind faith, right? Only hold on to what's good. Because he's saying what, what is spoken in God's name is not necessarily always true. People are going to try to deceive you. People are going to lie to you. They're, they're going to say it's from God, and it may not be. We may hear God a certain way that we want to, and that's really not what God is saying to us. So Paul's saying you got to be careful. Only hold on to what is good and let go of what is not. And the word he uses, you have to test it. And the word test means to, to sift through something, to learn its genuineness, to closely examine something, to push out the, the bad and to keep the good. But Paul, in the scripture, doesn't tell them how to do the sifting. He doesn't tell them how to do the testing. But today, we know how to do that. It's through God's word. See, today, God has given us his word, captured right here in scripture, which he inspired to be written for this very reason, that we know what truth is. God's inspired word. This is how we test what is coming at us. It's a standard of truth. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. This is the Bible Chapel's theme verse and always have been. We do nothing at the church without counsel of God's word. It's how we evaluate ministry opportunity. That's how we lead. That's how we counsel people. Right? God's word is the benchmark for everything. It is the standard for all life and all living. And God speaks through his word, through the Holy Spirit living in his lives. See, we don't need prophets today. We have the whole counsel of God's word and the spirit living inside of us to be able to read and to understand God's word. And that is what we use to test things. Not Wikipedia. Not Google. The answer to every question that we face day in and day out, the answer is lying right between these pages. And Paul's saying you've got to test what's there. Right? We think about the internet and everything that's 24-7, 365 on television. We can find a position or we can find a person or a group of people to support in, in any position that we want to take. Whether it's same-sex marriage, justification for living together, 
right? Or, or, or even all the advertising to talk us into and justify the things that we can't afford to buy. We've got to test it. And we've got to use God's word to do the testing. And again, that's why we're so passionate about living grounded is, is understanding God's word. Knowing the, the essentials, the foundations of the Christian faith. It's like, a, it's like a, we go through living ground. We like to say it's like, it's like developing an archaeological, an archaeological, a guy that sifts stuff with old dirt. <laughs> Whatever he's called. Right, you ever see them the working with the sieve and all the, all the loose small stuff falls out, but yet the, the kernels are there? Well, that's all the garbage. Let the garbage fall out. And the truth of God's word is there that you may not know the exact passage, but you know, you know it's something's not right here. I got to test what this is. So it's our fourth responsibility. You've got to be anchored in God's word. All right, let's look at verse 23 and 24 to see how Paul closes. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. And our fifth responsibility as a believer is we've got to be sure of his promise. See, we are not going to do things right every time. When we admonish or when we encourage or when we challenge or when we exhort, right? we're not going to necessarily do it at the right time or the right way with the, with the right words. But you know what? That's okay because what Paul's saying here is you've got the living God aside of you. He walks with you. He goes before you. You're not in this alone. And the beautiful words that Paul uses here, he's sanctifying us in the process. And what's that mean? He is making us holy. See, as we go about our business of being the people of the church, loving one another, caring for one another, challenging one another, God is by our side sanctifying us, making us holy in the process. He is cleaning us up to present us in front of God, in front of Jesus for our face-to-face -face meeting. So we show up blameless. We show up holy. That's the promise that we've got to be sure of. And in that, that's where we find our assurance. And it's in those words we find God's promise that we are not alone. That it is God who makes us holy. It is God who cleans us up and presents us to the Lord Jesus. Blameless. But we can't sit idly by. We've got our part to do. We've got to be willing to be engaged in others' lives. We've got to be devoted to our spiritual growth. We've got to respect those in spiritual leadership. We've got to be sure of this promise as we go about the work which God has laid out to do until that day that we get to meet Him face to face.